This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. We've been using the word messy around here for the past couple of months, really, and sort of interwoven into several of my sermon topics. And why? Why the word messy? Well, it's a description of that divine tension that exists between faith, faith and trust, and our circumstances. It gets messy. Circumstances get messy. Faith and trust in God is sure and powerful and life transformational, but circumstances shout back that our life, real life, is different than what we're professing by faith. And so it gets messy sometimes. It's also messy in that divine tension when you make a decision to love and not judge to accept people as they are and as they come to church, regardless of what they look like, regardless of how they're dressed, regardless of their orientation, regardless of their sexuality, regardless of their belief system. You accept them and you incorporate them. You create an environment for belonging before believing, knowing that they'll come to faith in Christ. But that's messy. It's messy dealing with all of those things. It's messy not wanting to get trapped in that religious form of creating a bunch of rules and policies to herd the sheep, <laughs> to keep everything in order. And so this, these 500 or so pieces of crumpled paper all over the floor that you see here, as an indication of what God is doing with us. And it's messy. I spoke to you last week about a shift. I referred to it as a renaissance that's going on. Renaissance is defined as the activity, spirit, or time of great revival, marking transition. It also means a renewal of life, vigor, rebirth. You've been through renaissance in your life, I'm sure, at various times. I've been going through one theologically. I've been going through one in how I lead and therefore how we do church. There's another word I used last week for this, and it's called paradigm, or some pronounce it paradigm. The word paradigm means example or pattern, especially an outstandingly clear example. It's a model that serves as a clear example of somewhere we want to go or a change we want to make. It constitutes the framework that contains basic basic assumptions and ways of thinking or methodology. So let me give you an example. There was a time in history when it was thought that the earth was flat. The paradigm, the assumptions that were made back then based on their best estimates and guess and science 
was that the earth was flat. They feared going too far out in their ships upon the ocean for falling off of the earth. Now, you've read about this, I'm sure, in your history books. But then all of a, some, some, uh, all of a sudden, someone dared to develop a new paradigm. Somebody dared to accept that there could possibly be some new assumptions, some new patterns, and some new examples that could change some things. And I submit to you that we are in such a paradigm change and shift. We are in a shift of paradigm or paradigms at Genesis. It affects our believing. It affects our style of leadership. It affects where we're going as a church. But one, thing's remain, one thing remains true and constant. The Bible is the word of God. It is inerrant. It is our sole authoritative source for all that is true. It is our measure. It is holy. It does not change. Methodology, paradigms change. But the word of God stands true forever. And I'm convinced the more I study it and the more I learn and the more I remain in God's presence listening to the Holy Spirit... That the whole of the Bible, Old and New Testaments, simply represent God's effort to bring us back into relationship with himself. And when it comes to the very first church, I'm talking about the one born 2,000 years ago on that glorious day of Pentecost. When those 120 were gathered in the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell... That in that beginning of the church, it was gloriously messy. It was a messy movement with a laser-focused message and a global mission. And it was led by men and women who were fueled not by what they believed, but by what they had experienced. And therein, Genesis, is our challenge to create gatherings where people can come and they can hear truth and they can hear the Bible preached. They can receive the good news of the kingdom and the gospel, but also where they can experience God's presence. I mean, encounter his love, encounter his power. Receive healing and miracles. Operate in gifts of the Spirit. And I believe that's what Genesis is called to do and to be. To lead people into a growing faith in Jesus Christ. Do we have that on the screen, Jerry? And be a gathering where God's kingdom can be experienced in love and power. Well, I want to take a couple of moments and share a sort of a part two with you to this message of walking toward the messes. I've entitled it moving into freedom. Now, we've we've had a lot of freedom here this morning, I believe. There's been tremendous praise and worship and gifts of the spirit flowing. And 
I mean, there's crumpled paper all over the floor and people are wondering what's going on. And my church administrator had to leave to go to the hospital with one of our members whose, whose mother suddenly had to go to the hospital this morning. So th- there goes my key staff person who sets up church and... You know, my my help, my key helps minister and his wife, they're out of town celebrating their one year anniversary. And so, you know, there's another segment of things that are normally covered and it has to be covered by other people. And and I don't know, I'm just kind of enjoying messy. There's a freedom in messy, Don. There's a freedom in things just not going the way that you thought they would go. We haven't had an order of service. I mean, I'm fond of order. And, uh, you know, we have an order of service that we print out every week. I don't think we've had one for the last month. And I think that's good from two standpoints. Number one, there's the idea that, well, gee, if the Holy Spirit shows up and really wants to do something, then we're not afraid that he's going to break our order of service. And number two, it's really good for the helps ministry to have to remember their tasks. Instead of them being written on a piece of paper. Because you don't look at them anyway. <laughs> so it's better just to remember how to flow with God and the Holy Ghost. And let's just come into a gathering. Not church. Not a location. Not a building. Not brick and mortar. But let's come together in a gathering and just see what God wants to do. What might that be like? Do you realize that when that church was born, I'm talking about the one that was born on the day of Pentecost, they didn't know how to do church. They had never set up nurseries. They didn't know anything about how to get all the people into, you know, the right seats and, and, and how they were going to work, you know, the song service and who was going to play guitar and who was going to play drums and you know they didn't have all that worked out they had 3,000 people come to Christ the first day 3,000 people accepted Jesus the first sermon that Peter preached instant church they didn't know how to do church they didn't have something called helps ministry that's something that we've developed after 2,000 years you know of science and looking at this thing and coming up with order of service and so forth. But they didn't have all that. They just had, had to have gatherings where the Holy Spirit took over and, and they just, it was a mess. It was messy. And they had to learn to work with people. They had people coming to Christ that weren't Jewish, didn't want to be circumcised, didn't want to memorize over 600 laws and enter into legalism. And yet, God's will is not to leave us in a mess. He wants us to grow. He wants our lives to become a model, an example of Jesus Christ and his power and love in this earth. And so sometimes messy has to change into maturity. Say it. Maturity. Say this. Sometimes messy has to mature. Okay. I want to give you seven common denominators for moving out of messy into maturity, moving out of messy into greater freedom. Number one, church attenders back then 
who were in a mess made a decision to keep moving. Number one, keep moving. Don't stop. They refused to get discouraged. They uh, refused to be afraid and give up. They kept moving. Even when circumstances were contrary. Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 4. For Abraham, human reasoning for hope being gone, hoped in faith that he should become the father of many nations as he had been promised. So shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered the utter impotence of his own body, which was as good as dead because he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's deadened womb. No, no unbelief or distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong. He was empowered by faith as he gave praise to God. As he gave glory and praise to God. Fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and do what he would promised. Here's a man that had been promised a son in his old age. He was 75 when he first heard the promise. He was almost 100 when the promise actually came. Imagine waiting for 25 years for something God's promised you. And I mean, this, this wasn't just a thought in the night. Angels appeared. God talked to him verbally. You're going to have a son. 25 years later. Now, question, what do you do between the promise and the performance? What do you do between the promise and the performance of the promise when it appears? What do you do? That gets messy. So number one, if you want to mature in your mess and really stay and get free, get and stay free, you have to not give up. Keep moving forward. Keep trusting. Keep believing. God's promise is going to come to pass for you. Say this with me. When today is cloudy, when today is unsure, I will hold on to yesterday's promise. I will not forget my future. See, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it yet, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach to the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Have you ever felt like giving up? Have you ever felt like, man, the, the future's just cloudy now. After all that's happened to me, I, I just can't see this happening anymore. I just can't see that... I mean, maybe, maybe I really did hear God about this, but it can't happen now. It, it, can't, it can't be true now. Don't give up. No. Don't, don't say it's over. Don't conclude. Keep moving. Take little baby steps. If you haven't been praying at all, pray five minutes a day. If you haven't been giving at all, start giving five dollars. 
$5 each time there's an offering. Keep yourself moving. If you felt like the heavens are iron and God's not hearing your prayers, just start praying simple, short prayers. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. You are faithful to me. Don't try to pray for the world. Don't try to pray for everyone's salvation. Just keep it simple. Keep moving forward. And God will bring you out of that mess. Number two. Paul kept going. Or excuse me. Paul kept a goal of knowing Christ above everything else. So number two. Commit to knowing Christ above everything else. I mean every priority. Every other experience. All material possessions. And everything of value in life. All of that is subject to knowing Christ. Here's how Paul said it. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. So that I could gain Christ. Everything else in my life compared to just being in his embrace and knowing him, spending time with him every day. Paul calls it garbage. My goodness. Compared to knowing him. Compared to knowing Christ and being in his grace. And in his embrace. Everything else in our life is just garbage. Number three. The third thing to keep you moving into freedom. The third thing to move you forward out of mess into maturity. Is stop worrying about other people's messes. Both Jesus and Paul taught us. You're not responsible for everybody's reactions. You're not responsible for what everybody else believes. You be faithful to the word. You be faithful to your walk. Now listen to this. First Thessalonians chapter 4. I just love how real the Bible is with our messes. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 9 through 12. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you to love each other. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal. Watch this. This is a goal now. He's given us a goal setting principle here. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands as we instructed you to. In other words, keep your nose out of other people's messes. You're not responsible for how they're walking with God. You're not responsible for how they're living their life. You're not responsible for all your relatives. You're not responsible for all your co-workers. In their behavior. You're not responsible for your, all your children and grandchildren once they grow up and leave your home. Now that doesn't mean you don't walk in love. And love cares and love embraces and love helps. That's why I read the first two verses before verse 11. 
We don't throw love out. But he says, look, work with your own hands and mind your own business. (laughs) You're not responsible for other people's messes. You know what the beauty of that is? You can stop playing Holy Ghost. We let the Holy Spirit play Holy Spirit in everybody's life. And we stop trying to change people. So stop worrying about making everything understandable and palatable. Jesus didn't. That's one of the greatest struggles that I have as a pastor. It's messy for me sometimes. Of how I can keep church palatable and open and acceptable to everybody. And you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit has to remind me. It's not my job to make church palatable for everybody that walks in those doors. It's not my job to make church uh, wonderful for everybody's opinion. Of what they like and don't like here. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Do you remember how Jesus taught? And he was criticized. Even his own disciples said, who can understand these things you're saying? You're teaching in parables. Parables were intentionally used as a way of putting truth into a story with certain facts and events, but it left it out there sort of hanging for the imagination and for God to interpret in your particular circumstances. So as a pastor, my responsibility is to obey the Holy Spirit, listen to him when we gather, follow his leading, preach the word, And stay out of everybody's business and not worry about whether you get or you understand or you even agree with everything that I speak or teach. I'm supposed to do some of it by parables. (laughs) In other words, just leave it out there. Let the Holy Spirit deal with people later after they get home. What they didn't understand at church, move on. Amen. That brings freedom to me. That brings freedom to me. And it'll bring freedom to you in your witness to others. You don't have to explain everything. You don't ever have to make everything nice and palatable and understandable for everybody. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Number four, the fourth key to moving forward out of mess into freedom is that you have to keep yourself motivated. You have to stay enthusiastic. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Romans chapter 12, verses 11 and 13. 11 through 13. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert, servants of the Master. Cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Isn't that a great verse? Wow. There's nothing worse than coming to church as a pastor. Boy, I don't know. I just feel like I just 
telling on myself here this morning and just being real with you about some things. There's nothing worse for a pastor than to come to church and feel like he's constantly having to motivate people, constantly having to pull people out of out of malaise and out of issues and out of problems and out of what's the word I'm looking for? Mediocrity. The Bible says it's your responsibility. It's my responsibility to fan the flame. Do you remember the last time somebody called you, fellow believer, and just started pouring out their heart? And this is like the hundredth time they've done this. I mean, for this person, nothing ever seems to go right. I mean, when it rains, it pours. This person is always in trouble, never has enough finances, can never get ahead. Uh, the devil's always after them. Somebody always is doing them wrong. They cannot get along in their friendships. You, you know what I mean? Do you know that when you are talking to somebody like that, something happens? The burden of their mess can switch and it can kind of come over on you and you can start carrying it. <laughs> Some of you do that. I get around you and I can tell you've been talking to people. <laughs> you, you're trying to carry somebody's mess and we're not called to carry people's messes. And we're called to fan into flame. How many of you have ever lit a campfire or been around one? that was going cold and there were some embers in still in the middle of it in the, in the center part of it that was more condensed and everything was closer together but most of the wood on the, on the exterior had lost its flame that's a picture by the way of Christians who gradually get out of fellowship who gradually stop worshiping who gradually move away from the things in their spiritual disciplines and the fire starts going out and guess what they're going to call you they're going to call you now sometimes when they call God has had them call so that you can get down there Get down to where that fire still is in them because they're honest and they're sincere and they're godly people. And you can start. Have you ever done that with a campfire? Yeah. Or, or, you, or you take a, a paper and you go. That's what you do when you, when you get around people whose fire's going out. I mean, they're just always in a problem, always in a trouble. And you know it's because they've stopped worshiping. They're not reading the word. They're not hanging in the word. They haven't been at church for a couple of months. But they love God. They have a sincere heart. Okay. And then you start adding some more wood on it. What's that? The word. All right. You, you, you share a verse of scripture with them. Invite them back to church. And you know what? If God is in it. If God led you into that conversation, that fire will be fanned and they'll start glowing again. And their own fire 
will start burning again. And then they'll be healthy once again and they can add wood to it. But if that doesn't happen, and I mean you've blown and you've blown and you've blown till you are out of breath and weary, and they just keep persisting in the same things, there may come a time where you're not to blow anymore. Because you're responsible to keep your own flame burning. And we're getting there because that's number seven. And I'm going to be there momentarily. All right, number five. Number five. The fifth way to keep moving into freedom, to move out of mess into maturity, is to build spiritual disciplines into your life. What am I talking about? Worship. Reading the word, being diligent, fanning the flame, being hospitable, coming to church, being in small groups, all of those things, being diligent, being diligent, being diligent, giving, tithes and offerings. Isn't it interesting that when you get down, when you start going through periods of discouragement and you're not excited about the Lord or church anymore, do you know one of the first things to fall off? That we back up from giving tithes and offerings. They're married. Show me somebody who's no longer attending church, who's fallen away from the Lord, no longer loves him or is no longer excited. Or they profess to have a love in God, but they just don't want anything to do with community and small groups. And I'll show you somebody who has also stopped tithing and stopped giving offerings. They go hand in hand. How do I know that? Well, first of all, I've observed it for 35, 40 years. But Jesus said it this way. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then ministry. So the spiritual disciplines, worship, word, diligence, giving, and ministry. It's impossible for you to mature, to stay healthy and grow and move out of your mess unless you're involved in ministry of some sort, giving to others. Number six, let go of judgments. Jesus taught us, judge not. Paul said, I don't even judge myself. First Corinthians chapter four, verse three. He said, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. We are to stay completely free of constantly weighing right and wrong. Right and wrong. Does this measure up? Is this good or is this bad? You don't live that way as a believer. The Bible teaches us to live from the tree of life. Not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How do you live out of the tree of life? Paul said it this way. Be led by the Holy Spirit. He said, put your flesh down and walk in the Spirit. He whose mind is stayed on the things of the Spirit, to him it is life. And peace. And so then you don't have to constantly be judging right and wrong. You're walking in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit always leads you 
in right ways, right relationships, right speech. Everything pleasing to God. By the way, this, this sixth principle also deals with comparing yourself with others. There's, some of you here have a real issue, a real problem with comparing yourself to other people. Other people's gifting, other people's position in the church, how long somebody's been serving the Lord. Um, you, you have the same gift, but somebody was picked over you. You were in a certain spot, but now that's changed and you've been moved out of that spot and you're no longer being used in that spot. And so you start comparing and saying, well, why, why was I removed and why was somebody else given that? Paul categorizes all of that under comparing. And here's what he says. Not that we have authority to venture or to class or even compare ourselves with some who exalt and furnish testimonials for themselves. However, when they measure themselves with themselves and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding and they behave unwisely. Galatians chapter 6 verse 4. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Good scripture. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for delivering me from constantly comparing myself to somebody else. Thank you, Lord, for freedom and moving me out of the mess. All right, number seven. Number seven is that sometimes... now. Get this, listen carefully. Sometimes, number seven, for moving out of mess into maturity, and it ties into a couple of comments I was making earlier about number five. Sometimes you need to exercise a necessary ending. Do you know what a necessary ending is? Let me read it. John chapter 2, verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Wow. You mean there were actually some people that Jesus stayed away from or terminated his relationship with because he couldn't entrust himself to them anymore? Yes, he knew their heart. Sometimes victory comes by changing your circle of influence. Your freedom might be in who you set free. <laughs> who you eliminate from your life. In Jonah's case, it was not what needed to be thrown overboard, but who that needed to be thrown overboard to get peace and calm in the storm. In Joseph's case, victory, victory came when he left the influence of Potter's wife. Paul said this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14, but if anyone in the church refuses to obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and do not associate with them so that they may be ashamed. Oh my goodness. Those are strong words. Did I really read that in my Bible? See, there are times when 
somebody's heart begins to give away the truth of what's really inside. Jesus said it's out of the heart. It's out of the inside of man that he speaks. When you find somebody that never can say anything positive, they can never be loving or reaffirming about other people. When you find somebody who's always down and critical about your church or its ministries, and they're in the church, I mean, they're Christians. Paul says, look, it might be headed for a necessary ending. But even in that, there's redemption. He says that they might be ashamed. And the brother who was caught in sin, sleeping with his father's wife, Paul said, put him out of the church. But then by 2 Corinthians, that was in 1 Corinthians, by 2 Corinthians he said, now look, don't, don't have him in shame too long. Bring him back into community and fellowship so that his faith doesn't fail. He's gotten the message. It's redemptive. Even, even discipline, even church discipline is meant to be redemptive in the kingdom of God. God loves us so much. But there may be a necessary ending coming for some of us when we deal with these things and with people.